Our pericope of scripture this morning is Isaiah chapter 38. We will have our Lord's Day sermon this evening because I wanted to take the morning opportunity here to speak about the importance of Christian education as our kids return to the classrooms tomorrow. So Isaiah chapter 38, verse 19 is going to be my text. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And he said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees, by which degrees it had gone down. The writing of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord, even the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with a pinning sickness. From day even unto night wilt thou make an end of me. I reckon till morning (coughs) that as the lion so will he break all my bones. From day even to night wilt thou make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow, (coughs) so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. Mine eyes fail with looking upward. O Lord, I'm oppressed, and undertake for me. What shall I say? He hath spoken unto me, and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. 
For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. For Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall press, or recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Our text this morning <coughs> is the contrast between verse 18 and 19. Where in 18 we read, The grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. And then in verse 19, The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. May God bless that word that was read and now is explained. <coughs> Excuse me. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the occasion of our text was the sickness and then the healing of King Hezekiah. For Isaiah had been sent by the Lord to King Hezekiah with a word, Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Wow, what a word from the Lord. What a word when you and I perhaps go to the doctor and all of a sudden we hear from the doctor, you have possible cancer. The threat of death. A brush with death. And it brings about a realization of how short our lives are and the spiritual priorities that we should have in our lives. In other words, what, what is really important in your and in my life? We have in our text, verse 19, a beautiful psalm, really a song, with parallelism again in those two phrases. Did you catch it? This was written now sometime after the healing of King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah sings, The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The living, the father to the children shall make known thy truth. You see here, the living, the living is that father and is that child. And then that phrase, shall praise thee, comes with a second phrase, how do we praise God? We make known his truth. So notice with me as a title, King Hezekiah's Song and Confession. And may it be ours also. First of all, we notice Hezekiah's house. Second of all, the instruction of his children. And then thirdly, the powerful 
purpose. Hezekiah's house. The occasion of this writing of Hezekiah, verse 9, was God's command, Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die. And King Hezekiah is sick unto death. What the sickness is, we don't know. It's not important, except we know it had something to do with a boil or swelling. And if we are going to die, we also need to set our houses in order. What does that mean? (coughs) First of all, set it in order as to our own future. Is your future certain? Do you know when you meet your maker what he is going to say to you? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity? But setting our house in order is also taking care of that life and that household that we have here on earth that we're going to leave. There need to be some preparations, don't we? There need to be preparations personally, financially, your family, of course, your business, We want to leave those homes intact. We want to leave those homes in the service of Jehovah God. Mrs. Springsma, whenever we go away on vacation, or every time we had a call that I was going to accept, would completely, thoroughly clean the whole house. Even moving the refrigerator and the stove and the washer and the dryer, she wanted it to be intact. Well, likewise, we want our life to be intact when it comes to an end. And we're not going to procrastinate with that like I sometimes want to do. I'll do it tomorrow. We get it done. And so Hezekiah, hearing this word of the Lord, set your house in order, is concerned about his household, about God's promises. We have to be ready when the Lord is going to take us home. And we don't know when that is, do we? Those who have cancer, or now King Hezekiah, at least they have that time where they know they're going to leave and they prepare for that. I'm thinking of the last death that was here in the congregation. It became known to the man that he was going to be dying soon and he and his wife were able to get their whole funeral service set together. The text that was going to be preached on, the songs that we were going to sing, he was able to meet with all the children and say goodbye to them yet. So also, we have to be willing, because it might happen on our way home today, or a sickness might come to us. Is your house in order? Are you ready to leave? But King Hezekiah is not ready to leave, is he? He's not ready to die. Look at him. He faces the wall, and he weeps bitter tears. Is he acting there like a spoiled child, saying, Lord, I don't want this. 
Don't give me this word. But I want you to notice that King Hezekiah is now weeping and praying for his life, not because of unbelief or rebellion or unwillingness to set his house in order, but he says, I cannot die yet. Why? Well, first of all, he's so young. At this time, he was only 39 years old. In other words, he wasn't like this old man, but he was in his prime of life. But that's not really the answer that he's so young. For many die very young in life, don't they? He was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigns a total of 29 years. He died when he was 54 years old. But you see, his sickness unto death comes at a perilous time for God's people, for the church. This follows right with Isaiah chapter 37. When the Assyrians are going to come up against Judah. They are already in the land. Soon they're going to surround Jerusalem with a siege. Sennacherib and Rakshava are there with the armies to destroy. But God had made a promise. You'll read of it in Isaiah 37 that the Assyrians would not have the upper hand against Israel, but that the Lord would defeat them. And you boys and girls might remember that 185,000 died at the Lord's hand. Hezekiah cannot die yet because his prayer is really that prayer that he prays in, in Isaiah 37 for God's deliverance of his people from the Assyrians. And Hezekiah, relatively young, was a strong and a devout leader of God's people. He is one who led a great reformation in Israel. And when Israel returns to the Lord in repentance, then God delivers them from their destruction, from their enemies. So in other words, God's congregation needed that devout, strong, godly leadership. If Hezekiah would die, it would mean really the end of Judah. And it would mean the victory of the Assyrians. More importantly, Hezekiah at this time does not yet have a son to succeed him on the throne. King Manasseh is 12 years old when he begins to reign, which means that he is not born until three years after Hezekiah's sickness unto death and healing. And that's also what we read in Isaiah chapter 39, verse 7, which speaks in the future tense, thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget. In other words, this is a severe trial to King Hezekiah. It is the succession of David's line in the generations, that man that is going to sit upon the throne forever in the line of David. 
You see, it has implications in the coming of the Messiah who must come from this line of David. If Hezekiah dies now, there would be no Messiah. And if there's no Messiah, there would be no salvation for God's people. That is the reason. It's a concern for God's people of whom he is a king. Now we might ask, why does God send this trial to King Hezekiah when later on, in the way of his prayers, God heals him? Why this sickness even unto death? And it is exactly that, isn't it? That it is in the way of prayer, that is a fervent, powerful, effectual prayer, King Hezekiah's life is lengthened. You see, these trials are sent into our life to teach us. God was teaching Hezekiah that the trials he sends have a purpose. It has the purpose of our turning to the Lord, being strengthened in our faith, and glorying in the work of Jehovah God. And those trials also are sent in order to separate the kernel from the chaff, the elect from the reprobate. It was a trial not only for King Hezekiah, beloved, but it was also a trial now for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in a strait because the Assyrian threat. Oh, those spiritual children of Jerusalem, how they must have come to the throne of grace with their prayers on behalf of their godly king. And God hears those prayers. God hears those prayers. And God added 15 years to King Hezekiah's life. And there was a sign given to him that he knew that it would take place, that the shadow of the dial of Ahaz would go backward 10 degrees. 10 degrees, which is the number of completion. It, re it was not only the shadow on the dial that would go backward, but the sun actually would go backward 10 degrees. Because God had made a promise to David that of his seed there would be one who would sit on the throne forever and ever. God would punish and God would chastise the unrighteous and unfaithful among David's line. But his mercy would never, never depart from David's true seed. So there is a marvelous deliverance. And God sends Isaiah a second time to King Hezekiah with this good news, a message of healing and of life. What a sign given. There are those who mock at that. At least we know of two occasions when the Lord, who is the creator, who made all things, caused the sun to go backward. That is, the day is lengthened when Joshua was fighting the enemies of Israel, and now also at this particular time as a sign to King Hezekiah. The day is lengthened. People get excited today about a sun eclipse. 
But how much greater was these events? Nothing like when this day was lengthened for King Hezekiah that he knew that the Lord would keep his word and his promises to his saints. It meant 15 more years of his life. It meant 15 more years of godly reformation taking place in the nation of Israel with that leadership. 15 more years in which Hezekiah would have children, children that he would instruct in the truth. Because God remembers his covenant forever. So let me bring the same question to you that Isaiah brought to King Hezekiah. Is your house in order? Is your house in order? Have you taught your children and your grandchildren the truth of God's word? Do they know the Lord and what he has done for you? God forbid that in your life it can be said of your children that they did what was right in their own eyes, that they forgot all the things that God had done for them. We all die. Are your priorities right now in your life set? Are they straight? So that's the occasion. That's the occasion where now Isaiah starts singing. And over against the grave that he was looking at, where a living person is no longer living, is dead. That dead person can't sing the songs in the grave, can he? The mouth doesn't open any longer. The tongue does not speak. Death cannot celebrate thee. But the living, the living shall praise thee as I do this day. Notice with me there in verse 19, the father to the child will make known the truth. Notice that instruction. Three things there. We have the covenant family pictured. And what is that family? What is that relationship? It's a relationship, a friendship that God has established and maintains with his people in Christ Jesus. God is our Father which is in heaven. And you and I are his children by adoption. Sons and daughters, children of God because of his Son, his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It means that God loves us. He loves his children. And God embraces them in his faithfulness. And that you and I enjoy through Jesus Christ. We enjoy it through the washing of his blood. All of our sins taken away. And we enjoy it by the renewal of his Holy Spirit. Where we are drawn to Christ Jesus and our Father in heaven. That means, beloved, let me say to all fathers here to this morning, you have to reflect to your children while you're living the fatherhood of God. 
May your hands appear to your children like the hand of God that cares for and holds and preserves his children, that instructs them in the way that they go. What a calling. God's our Father, and you godly fathers are now this picture of him who is in heaven, our Father. Notice second of all, that God made this covenant with believers and with their seed. That is, it is in the way that our family God works in the lines of generations, doesn't he? God does not save just one person here and another person there and another person there haphazardly, but God works in the lines of generations. He saves us and our children in our grandchildren. And you know from the baptism form, don't you, boys and girls, Genesis chapter 7. I will be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee in their generations. Or again, Acts 2 verse 39. That God works with our, us and our children. The promise is to us and to our children. And what that means is then that our children have to be taught those truths. Parents, you need to teach your parents, your children, who they are. They are no longer those members out there in the world who hate God and work and live in disobedience, but they are children of God. Teach your children what God has done for them in Christ Jesus and what he is doing for them by his spirit, by his word. Teach them how God has saved them in Christ Jesus. Teach them how they must live like you and I in obedience, in thankfulness. Teach your children that they must live antithetically in this world, not like the wicked world, but as children of God, as a lamp in the midst of darkness. Our children need to be trained, taught how to take up their respective places here in the world, taught their calling, that they are friends of God and they are servants of God. Thirdly, this third principle This teaching of children is primarily the work of fathers. Not the government. Not the government. And not even primarily the church. Yes, God says to Peter, Jesus said to Peter, that he was to feed the sheep and he was to feed the lambs, the little ones. And we do that, don't we? We do that in the preaching, trying to make sure that their children also are included in the preaching, drawn to the word of God. We do it in the catechism classroom, the Sunday school classroom. So the church is involved. But it is, notice in our text, the father to the children shall make known thy truth. Parental duty, a father along with his godly wife. That is our covenantal responsibility. 
That is one of the questions that are asked of you at baptism. Whether you intend to see these children brought up in the aforesaid doctrine to the best of your ability. Make known God's truth. And that is not only then the fathers, but together as fathers, we care that all of our children in the church are brought up in those truths. And that's why we have our offerings for our Christian schools, isn't it? Or we assist our, uh, those who need help in that instruction. So fathers to the children, notice the phrase, the truth shall be made known. The truth. Do you remember Pilate? When he says to Jesus, what is the truth? And that's what the world also asks. Is there a standard truth that always remains or is it the case that as culture changes, our priorities change and our thinking changes so that once what was forbidden now is accepted? When, what, when would men would ha- interact with men and women with women, they were called sodomites. Where today they are now prideful of that relationship, walking in sin. What is truth, the world says. We'll set the agenda. But God's word says, thy word is truth. And it is the Holy Spirit who is called the spirit of truth who leads the church in that truth of God's word. For the reality of things, of what has taken place, what is going to take place, how our lives have to be lived the reality of all things, look to the scriptures. Look to the scriptures as to our origin. Not evolution, but God's, the word, God's word says, God created in six days and made man good in his image. Explain to your children from the Bible why there's misery in the world because of our sins and our rebellion against God. Explain to your children the only way of salvation, which is Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him. Explain how to your children how you and I must live in this world in thankfulness for our salvation in obedience to our God. The Holy Spirit taking that word of God as his instrument, taking the preaching of that word as his instrument, the chief means of grace to work salvation. God's word is truth. Not evolution. It's not the teaching of many on newscasts where they say, see, there's a lot of good in people. And it's not the idea that we learn it by experience. For a lot of our experiences are faulty, aren't they? Let me give an illustration. Someone thought that I was being unfriendly to them. 
because they saw me in the store and I didn't even bother to say hi. Well, what they were experiencing is, oh, rejection. Whereas the truth was, I didn't see that person. I maybe was with my own children in the basket and trying to hurry up and get those groceries. I didn't see that person. Our experiences are faulty. What is our instructor? Fathers to the children making known the truth of God by his word. Only God's word is truth. God must be the center of your my life. And God is also central then in how you and I live our lives for him. And now that truth has to be taught, doesn't it? It has to be taught. Many educational systems today reject that idea. They have the idea that the truth is really in the children already and the educator only has to kind of bring it out of them so that they know what is already in them. Is there a lot of good? Is there a lot of truth in our children that just has to be brought out? And the Bible says, no, there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of foolishness bound up in the heart of the children. God's children have to be taught the truth. Even the Lord Jesus, who was not foolish, was not sinful, had to be taught as a young child the truths of God's word. Think a moment how those teachers in the temple, when Jesus was 12 years old, marveled at the wonderful questions Jesus was asking them about God's word. So we have to teach God's word, the word of truth, to our children, not just human opinions of this and that. And the church in the larger world is now getting famous for saying, well, there's different opinions. There's different opinions about whether can, women can serve in office so the church then can stay together and have different opinions about it. Or when it comes to homosexuality, there's different opinions about it and let's try to live together as a church when we allow those corrupt persons to be members or even servants, office bearers in the church. We don't teach opinions. God's word is truth, and we take that word of truth. It is not culturally conditioned. And I want you to notice that this is now the parental duty. Fathers must set their houses in order. Fathers must teach their children the truth of God's word. Fathers with mother's assistance. And what a great error when fathers neglect that aspect of their calling. Or how great is the trouble when fathers or mothers forsake their children and do not bring them up their house in the fear of the Lord. Yes, yes, fathers, you are breadwinners. And yes, fathers, some of you have very important work in the church. But first, first and foremost, fathers, teach your children the word of truth. 
who are these fathers to the children? And the first part of this parallel song says it. The living, the living, he shall praise thee. Fathers shall make known the truth to their children. Who are these living? Well, of course, if we look here, what Hezekiah went through, he was threatened with death. And as we read there in verse 18, the dead do not praise the Lord. Their bodies are in the grave. So physically, those who are alive, King Hezekiah, who was given extra life so that he could have children, could teach them the truth. But beloved, I think this text this morning is more than just the physical life. Who are the living, the living of our text? It is spiritual children of God. Those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit, who have the Holy Spirit living within them with the word of God. The living, the living. They are the ones who make sure that there is family worship in the home. That the family isn't too busy going here and there and doing this and that, that devotions are neglected. The living, the living are those who bring their, up their children in the Christian church. And not just any Christian church, but bring up their children in the Christian church where the truth is most purely preached. Of course, there's other Christian churches. The church is much broader than our tiny little denomination. But what truths are being taught and what errors are being taught? Is there two different kinds of graces? Is God's covenant conditional? Is the kingdom of God something here in the world that some are trying to make bring the kingdom here on earth? Or is it only a spiritual kingdom? The living, the living bring up their children in Christian churches where the truth is most purely preached. The living, the living, bring up their children through prayer. They pray for their children, and they bring them up with their own personal Bible study. And why is that so important? Because an empty vessel can't fill up an empty glass, can it? And if you don't have the Word of God in your own heart, if you're not studying it, if you're not busy going to societies to learn more, hearing the Word of God, you're not able to bring up your children in the truth. And that truth that you bring up your children includes all of creation, doesn't it? The world that we live in. How does this world work? And what, how are we and how are our children prepared to live in this world as children of God? The living, the living bring up their children by their own godly example. If your children look at you, fathers, how important is church to you that you are eager to be here morning and evening? How important is the church to you when it comes to Bible societies? You tell your children, yes, it's important that you're part of young peoples and young adults, but do they say dad and mom going to those societies? 
your example. How honest are you in your business? For your children, maybe, later on in their life, are going to follow that example. How important is your sanctification by the Spirit? You see, the realm is so great. Who can do it all? Who can do it all? And please don't say it's impossible. Don't say it's impossible. There are godly fathers and mothers who diligently study God's word themselves and are able to do a good job of schooling in their home. And yes, we do pray for that instruction in the home. But please don't think that I'm making a a point now of we should all homeschool. I'm saying instruction in the home is very important. But many parents are not able to guide their children in all the complexities of life, are they? To prepare them? History, geography, calculus, geometry, science. And that's why it's wonderful that we could have Christian teachers that are skilled in those different areas and are able to take the word of God as it applies to those very areas and teach it to our children. What a help they are to us. But also another aspect. What about our social development? Do our children learn how to get along with one another on the playground as well as in the classroom? There are those parents that have pulled their children from the Christian school because their children sadly were teased on the playground. And that's, that's bad. That's bad that that takes place. But our children have to learn how to deal with one another as sinful children of God, just like each one of us has to learn how to deal with one another in all of our sins. And so... We have our Christian schools where our children are taught not only these subjects, but also how to conduct themselves with one another in the classroom, but also on the playground. We are a family, God's family together. And while I'm making that pitch for our Christian schools, do not think for a moment that I am thinking that Christian schools relieve parents of their duty. Our Christian schools are not a daycare center that we send them away from home for so we can do other things. And tomorrow when the children go to school, may not our mothers sigh with relief and say, good, now I've got all these days, seven hours of the day to myself. Rather, our Christian schools are an extension of our homes. We don't have church schools, but we have parental schools. Seven hours a day, covenant training. Let me talk now a moment to the teachers and administrator of our schools. What a high calling you have. And just as we pray for sons who will become pastors, you have heard me also pray with you for sons and daughters who will be Christian school teachers for us. 
But what that all means is that we expect you as teachers to be faithful to your job, to be working hard for us, for you are accountable, accountable to God and accountable to the parents. How do you use those hours during school? How much did you prepare for those subjects that you're teaching? Are you on top of that material? Are you preparing it in a fresh way? Just as you don't want a pastor to turn over the dusty pages of old sermons, so also the materials of of you as teachers. Are you studying hard? Are you writing new material? You see, it's possible in each vocation to be lazy or sloppy or haphazard. I can think of a history school teacher whose notes were just as old as that worn-out pants, that suit that he would wear each day. Dry as dust. We care, and I hope you teachers care in this coming year, for the instruction of our children. Not only the material that you give them, but also their personal well-being, their social interaction with others, that you care for our children, body and soul. Yes, that too is part of Christian education, isn't it? May our children not be ostracized. May they not stand all alone on the playground having no friends. But we are together children of God. Socially getting along with one another being prepared to take up someday their place in this world as children of light. Christian parents, Christian parents, prize your Christian schools. Prize them as an extension of your homes. Prize them as an invaluable tool to aid you in your calling to train your children in the way of the truth. Parents and grandparents, the whole church of God, sacrificing for that cause, giving in the offerings, sacrificing even financially. In our Christian schools, may there be a clear commitment to the truth of Holy Scripture. May it be God-centered teaching, not only in the Bible classes, but in the math or the calculus or the geometry or the history of the world. May there be a striving for excellence. May there be, on the part of teachers and children, personal godliness and holiness. May we address not just the mind, but the body and the soul and the heart, the conscience and the well-being of our children. Our Christian schools are not perfect, just like our Christian homes are not perfect. We will fall. We'll fall short at times. But as we pray for our children instructed in the way of God's truth, may we pray for all of them, May we pray for our teachers, our administrator. May God bless 
the schooling that our children receive again in this coming year? Is your house in order? To your children making known the truth. That brings me thirdly to my third point, the powerful motive. The living, the living, the father to the children makes known the truth. You see, King Hezekiah, when he turned his face to the wall and was crying his eyes out, he was thinking about God's church when he makes this confession. It is only in the way of walking in the truth that Israel could expect God's deliverance from those Assyrians and could expect God's blessings. And it is in the way of sin and rebellion and disobedience that they will experience God's wrath and chastisement. Woe to the church today that does not fear what will happen as happened in the period of the judges. When there was not good leadership, when there grew up a generation that knew not the Lord and what he had done, when there was not strong spiritual leadership, when the church is less thoroughly founded upon God's word, she loses her heritage. As King Hezekiah cared for that nation that God made him a king over, so faithful fathers today who love God's church make good on their promises that they made at baptism. To the best of their ability, they will bring up their children in the aforesaid doctrine or cause them to be instructed therein. And people of God, when you come before the council and you ask for the baptism of your children and the elders ask you, how are you planning to instruct them? Are you going to send them to our Christian schools? Don't get angry at them. Those elders are expressing their love and their care for your whole family and for you and your household. Notice what King Hezekiah says in our text. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. He doesn't procrastinate. He says, I do it. I've been taught my lesson. My life is going so fast, and I have now only 15 more years. 15 years for a victory over the enemy. 15 more years to have a child. He cares. Not just good intentions. Yeah, I'll try. Not if I've got time left over, but as I do this day. Fathers to the children shall make known thy truth as I do this day. Powerful motive, number two. We love God, we love his truth, but number two, we love our children. We desire the best for them, don't we? And surely that spiritual instruction is more important than the earthly things that you and I can give them. We desire that they possess, they love and know the truth of God's word and his great salvation. We desire that our children 
know their calling, how they are to live in this dark, sinful world as children of the light. We pass on the Christian, the Reformed heritage that was entrusted to us. The motive, thirdly, we claim God's promises. When Isaiah the prophet comes to King Hezekiah says, get your house in order, you're going to die. And he is already very, very sick. He's clinging to those promises. God had promised in chapter 37, and it hadn't taken place yet, that he would deliver them from the Assyrians in the way of their obedience. It hadn't happened yet. And he clinged to God's promise that of David's seed, there would always be one to sit on the throne, and he didn't have any children. And he clings to that promise and therefore he cries his tears out, and he prays fervently and effectually God's word. No, I can't die yet. It is in the way of diligent, godly, zealous teaching, making known thy truth that God blesses our home. Now perhaps you say, ah, hang on a minute, Pastor. So King Hezekiah is praying for a godly seed to sit on the throne. You know what he got. Three years later, Manasseh is born, who all of his life for 55 years was an evil, evil king reigning. What good did that teaching do? And yes... There are reprobate children in our families. And yes, some of us have rebellious children that have walked away from the church. But I want you to remember this about King Hezekiah. He was taught the word of God when he was young. King Hezekiah himself for 12 years and maybe his wife and maybe the prophets and the priests themselves and when Manasseh was there in captivity in Assyria, God uses that chastisement and God uses the instruction that he had as a young man to bring him back to God. Thankfully for King Hezekiah, he did not have to see the reign of his son, a terrible reign, sinful reign. But God works in the lines of generations and Manasseh is saved. And you and I who believe that God works in the lines of our generations, we don't give up hope. But we keep on praying like a Job did for his married children that somewhere in their life the Lord will turn them around, maybe even at the last minute. Manasseh then did turn to the Lord and tried to correct what he did for those 55 years before. And it is finally not his son. No, Manasseh himself was not a very good father here at all, instructing his children in the truth. And so he got a wicked Ammon. But then again, the Lord surprisingly brings out a Josiah, the great grandson of King Hezekiah who continues and brings about the last reformation in God's church in Judah. God works in lines of generations. And so we are called 
as fathers to our children to make known God's truth. And we do it in gratitude, don't we? We do it because of God's faithfulness. We do it because of God's covenant promises. We do it because of his work in saving his own. And so let me end my sermon as even I've begun it. Fathers, is your house in order? Are your priorities straight? Are you praising the Lord with your whole family? As Hezekiah says, as I do this day. Amen. Father in heaven, we pray for our precious heritage, our children, our grandchildren, our young people, our young adults, and the instruction that they are given, that they will be turned to thee and love thee and serve thee this day. Amen. Let's turn in our Psalters to number 215.